Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Hello, I'm Christy Anderson, and welcome to Bible Interact Presents the Message of Galatians from an Ancient Hebraic Perspective. This is part six in our six-part series on this uh, going over Galatians, some of the key elements of Galatians, and some of the more difficult problems and things we've been analyzing. Today we're going to analyze what's called by means of flesh or faith, and that's what we're titling this final session. And in this session, we will analyze the key allegory in Galatians chapter 4 and find out the ultimate significance of Paul's message for our lives today. And so we are really going to just jump right in. We are going to get in a uh, it's mostly in chapter 4, and then we'll probably try to get into chapter 5 a little bit um, and see how far. We only have 25 minutes, so I'm going to just dive right in. In Galatians 4.21 and following, Paul states, Tell me you, in this case misguided Galatians, who desire to be under law, do you not listen to the Torah? For it is written, of course in the Torah, that Abraham had two sons, one by means of a slave woman and one by means of a free woman. But the son of the slave, the slave woman, has been born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So right off the bat, we see here that when Abraham is in his flesh, he's acting in his flesh, Abraham's attempted then to bring about God's promise on his own, according to the flesh, through the vehicle of a slave woman who could then only produce more slaves, i.e. so when he's operating, when Abraham is operating in his flesh and not in his, not by faith, he is with Hagar in this case, um, going to only produce more slaves. Therefore, when Abraham walked in his flesh, he could only again produce an Ishmael with Hagar, a circumcised slave who would be cast out ultimately. On the other hand, when Abraham walked by faith, God, through the vehicle of a free woman, brought about the fulfillment of the promise. Thus, when Abraham walked by faith, he produced Isaac with Sarah, a circumcised free man who would inherit. The emphasis here is on the means by which Abraham reproduced with two different women. And as we'll see, those women are going to represent covenants. Verse 24, it continues. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. So it's reproducing yourself through a covenant or bearing fruit through a covenant. Um, how is it going to be bore? So one is from Mount Sinai bearing children into slavery. She is Hagar. Now listen very carefully here. Verse 25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So Hagar is Mount Sinai. She, Hagar, corresponds to the present Jerusalem. So the allegory here, Paul is making analogies that are tying Hagar into 
the result of the present Jerusalem. For she, the present Jerusalem, is in slavery, i.e. under law versus under grace, with her children. So note first here that Hagar is tied to the Mosaic Covenant, which is Mount Sinai, represented by Mount Sinai, and is ultimately corresponding in the allegory to the present Jerusalem. Now, verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she, okay, so that's referencing the Jerusalem above, the free woman who produces children via the promise, she is our mother, or the means by which we are born again, as we'd say today. Thus, Sarah, in this case, is tied to the Abrahamic covenant, Mount, uh, Mount Moriah, or Mount Zion, uh, where Messiah was crucified, birthing free children, and ultimately the Jerusalem above. So what we learn from this is that Sarah, who is representing the Abrahamic covenant and birthing children from Mount Moriah or Mount Moriah in the Hebrew, allegorically represents the situation and children of the future believing Jerusalem above, who are all free. The above here indicating that it is the heavenly Jerusalem or new Jerusalem. You can look at Hebrews 12, 22, Revelation 21, 2, and 10, uh, verse 10 as well. That will come down out of heaven yet future. Now we continue in verse 27. For it is written, i.e. in the Tanakh in Isaiah 54, 1 is the cross reference here. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Verse 28. Now you, Galatian believers, brothers, like Isaac, are children by means of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, i.e. via man's efforts, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit or via the promise. So also it is now. So what Paul is saying here is that believers are like Isaac. But like Isaac in what way? Well, he says like Isaac in that they are children of the promise, children born via the Abrahamic covenant. So they're also like Isaac in that the Galatians are harassed by Ishmael or those born of Abraham's flesh who are slaves who will be uh, cast out. The troublemakers or the slaves are harassing the Galatians, those free children. Picking up again, ver, uh, this is uh, we're in Galatians 4 and we're picking up now in verse 30. But what does the Torah say? Cast out the slave woman, or what is representing allegorically here, the present Jerusalem and her son. For the son of the slave woman, Abraham's physical seed born of the flesh alone, shall not inherit with the son of the free woman, or Abraham's seed according to the promise. So brothers, we, that we there is referencing Jewish and non-Jewish believers in Messiah, are not children of the slave, referencing allegorically the present Jerusalem according to the flesh, but of the free woman, that Jerusalem above according to the promise. So the Torah says those born via the flesh alone will be cast out. So the focus then is the means of your birth. So the allegory here is showing that if you're born of the flesh, you are still under law or slavery like Ishmael. You might be circumcised in the flesh, but 
because it's by the flesh that this is walking out. If you birth something through your flesh is the whole point of the allegory, you're only going to produce slaves. And even uh, this, this is like trying to um, do what Abraham did. He, he tried to gain the promise in his own strength and his own flesh with Hagar, and that resulted in just producing slaves. And so that's where this whole allegory is, is coming from, is that only those born of Abraham and who are circumcised according to the promise are the ones that are going to inherit. And that's really Paul's key point there. So if you're born via the flesh, you're born of Abraham like Ishmael, you could be circumcised in the flesh like Ishmael. But you'll lack faith ultimately, and you will reject Messiah is Paul's context here that he's speaking to. And this will be allegorically represented like Ishmael. You will remain under law or under condemnation or under sin because obviously you're lacking in faith. And it's only a matter of um, seeking uh, something through the flesh, seeking the promise, but doing it through the flesh. Now, they have not been set free or born of Abraham's seed, singular, that is Messiah. If you're walking in the flesh, you're not uh, born according to the seed in the singular sense that Paul uses. So what is this allegory then all about? What's the point Paul is really making here? Well, the point is that you have two mothers in this allegory, and there are two methods of birth, two Jerusalems. You have the present unbelieving Jerusalem, who is in slavery to sin or under law, as Paul is calling it and coining those phrases, as we've discussed in previous sessions. Then you have the Jerusalem above, the believing um, Jerusalem, who is free from sin, who is operating under grace, under the grace of God, according to the promise. Abraham's sons through Hagar then are born via the flesh circumcision or represented as circumcision of the flesh alone. And uh, Paul gets into that in greater detail and by the time his arguments develop further in Romans and elsewhere. Abraham's sons through Sarah are birthed via the promise or the circumcision of the heart by faith, not just circumcision in the flesh. Notice that both uh, boys in the allegory, though, are circumcised in the flesh, but only one is birthed by means of promise and one is birthed by means of the flesh. And that is really the key central point of the allegory uh, that Paul's honing in on. Those born of Abraham's physical seed in the present Jerusalem who are circumcised in the flesh alone like Ishmael, but have not been born of Abraham's seed singular, the Messiah, according to the promise, will ultimately be cast out when the new Jerusalem comes down. And those, on the other hand, who are born of Abraham's seed, singular, according to the promise, are going to be birthed via Sarah, the Jerusalem above, and they will become co-heirs with him, i.e. co-heirs with the heir, the singular heir, seed, the seed, Messiah, who um, or when that Jerusalem above comes down. They are truly free members of the new Jerusalem. They are not slaves to sin and their flesh like those of the present Jerusalem. Now let's continue as we've wrapped up uh, chapter four. Let's go into chapter five. We still have uh, some time, so we'll see how far we can get. 
Now, chapter 5.1 starts out, for freedom, and that freedom would be freedom from sin and death that he would, uh, Paul would be indicating. Messiah has set us free. In other words, for, when he says from, for freedom, Messiah has set us free, he's saying for freedom from sin and death, Messiah has set us free, obviously from the law of sin and death. And you can cross-reference Romans 8.2. Stand firm, therefore, he says, and do not submit again. And I want to really emphasize here, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, to the flesh here, not to the Torah. Okay, so the referent here is don't submit again and the, to the yoke of slavery. That slavery is slavery to your flesh and to sin. It is not slavery to keeping God's commandments. Uh, the audience here, if they are... Uh, non-Jewish believers, which is the general consensus that, that Galatians is speaking predominantly to, then um, you can't return back to something you had never kept before. So if these uh, uncircumcised non-Jewish believers that he is referencing here uh, are going to be turning back again to a yoke of slavery, that again cannot be, the referent there cannot be the Torah because obviously um the only thing that they can turn back is to operating in their flesh and in sin, uh, which is the context, which is what he is talking about. And you can cross-reference Romans 8, 12 through 15 here as well. Now let's go ahead and cross-reference in Romans 8, 2 on this particular point. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life and Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is not the Torah itself, as I've said, it is the law or principle that says if you sin, you will die. And Romans 8, 12 through 15 says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the Spirit, I'm sorry, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Those deeds are contrary to God's Torah, and you are putting them to death by no longer allowing your flesh to have any life at all. In other words, the flesh must die. Verse 14, and that's uh, Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So now with that context, we can go back to chapter 5 and let's go on in verse 2. It says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you... Galatians accept circumcision and by here when we when we analyze the overall scope we understand that when he's saying circumcision he's not using it as uh in a ever sense like as if no one would ever get circumcised or that is done away with and you'll see uh why as we continue here but that cannot be the understanding that he's applying here clearly he's using it as a a collective term for circumcision in the sense of rejecting Messiah and trying to come in and be birthed via, birthed via the flesh. Okay, so again, it says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision or the proselyte ritual, you might say here to modernize it and, and get full understanding, Messiah will be of no advantage, no benefit or help to you. 
I declare again, I repeat, to every person who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Okay, so the implication or application here is that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. That is what his point is. So when he continues in verse 4 and says, you are severed from Messiah. In other words, your association with the promise is not in force. Well, of course, we would say, what about Timothy? Clearly, the severing from Messiah did not apply to Timothy, who Paul had circumcised. Therefore, the intent and the circumstances surrounding physical circumcision here are critical to our understanding of Paul's meaning of the term and the referent here for circumcision. He's not clearly making a statement that you would know there would be no case in which anyone would ever uh, get circumcised still uh, after the fact that was not previously after coming to faith in Messiah. His point here is directly related to people who are using circumcision to think that they are going to somehow gain right standing with God in the sense that they are accessing God's grace uh, according and coming under um, and coming into the family somehow separated from Messiah and only through circumcision as if that was the way um, to truly be saved which again as we've gone through this whole teaching uh, this entire time uh, as we've been going through this entire session we've seen that false doctrine of salvation that was being preached where you had to access the grace of God by coming in through um, becoming a proselyte essentially and through circumcision that gave you the right to access uh, God's grace and here this is clearly um, not what Paul is talking about with regard to circumcision he's talking in terms of the proselyte ritual and so that would have clearly not applied to Timothy he was not severed Timothy was not severed from Messiah so when we take in the full context of the situation and the context in which Paul is speaking and the limited scope um, and the timing of this particular letter in Galatians, we understand what Paul is intending when he's using the word or circumcised in this particular case. Moving on to verse 4, he says, You, in other words, misguided Galatians, who would seek to be justified or made right with God, in other words, by means of law, or that physical circumcision that he just referred to, you have fallen away from, in other words, or turned away from or forsaken God's grace, or the grace of God via the promise to Abraham. This is central to Paul's argument. The issue of circumcision here is not circumcision in general, but circumcision that is done for the purposes of acquiring justification via the flesh. In verse 5, he continues, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves, the circumcised Jews, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision, or being a Jew, in other words, nor uncircumcision, being a non-Jew, counts for anything. But only faith, and as he's used the term uh, that we've seen Paul use throughout, we know he's referring to Messiah's faith, only faith, Messiah, working through love counts for anything. We can cross-reference Romans 2.25 here where it says, For indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor of the law or a sinner, your circumcision has become uncircumcision because you're not doing it from a position of faith. The righteous 
live by faith, says Paul, as he's quoting uh, the prophets. And that counts for something. But the sinner's circumcision is still uncircumcision, just as Ishmael's physical circumcision was still uncircumcision. It didn't count. It made a slave. It did not make a free man that would inherit. That is the point of the allegory. That is the key point that Paul is bringing to bear in this entire section. I'm going to quickly, we're going to continue um, through here. And I want to try to jump, let's see, uh, we've got a few minutes left. I might be able to quickly get through this last section. Now, the summary then for uh, chapter 5, 1 through 6 is that Messiah set us free from sin. Therefore, we are not to turn back again to slavery to your flesh. If you accept circumcision or birth via the flesh alone, the Messiah will be of no advantage to you. You will stand on your own merit, which means death, and you are severed from Messiah. Seeking justification or birth via law or circumcision versus via grace or the Messiah. The bottom line is then that the state of your flesh, circumcised or not, is irrelevant in terms of justification before God. The only thing that counts is true faith, Messiah, who demonstrated true faith, working through love, his death on the cross. Now, let's quickly try to get through... Um, uh, Galatians five fourteen through 26, and I've only got a few minutes, so I'll see what we can do. For the whole Torah is fulfilled or done or walked out in one word. You shall love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I, Paul, say, walk by the Spirit, cross-reference Romans 8 there as well, what that means, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these, the desires of flesh and spirit, are opposed to each other. So here comes the purpose, he's going to say. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Or that, in other words, that your flesh opposes the spirit. That's the things you want to normally do, your flesh wants to do. But if you, Galatians, are led by the spirit, you, Galatians, are not under law. This means that those who are led by their flesh, not led by the Torah, but are led by their flesh, are who Paul defines as under law. In other words, being led by the flesh is the opposite of being led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit is really being led by the truth. The Torah, we know, is truth. The Psalms say specifically that the Torah is truth. Thus, being led by the Spirit is being led by the Word of God, which can only occur when one is under grace and walking by faith. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, and he lists them, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, etc. Notice here he says works. He says, I warn you, as I did, warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. For while we are in the flesh, or under law, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But the fruit, notice he says fruit there, not works, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And, and while I don't have time, we're going to have to wrap up our session here. Go back into this section in chapter 5 and look. He compares works to fruit. Works of the uh, flesh to the fruit of the spirit is what he's comparing 
and we know we have to compare fruit to fruit and works to works. So the works of the flesh is the fruit of death, but the works of the spirit are not listed, just the fruit, which is love, joy, peace, patience. So what are the works of the spirit? Of course, they are obedience to God's Torah. What else would they be? When we obey the word, when we walk by the truth, because the Torah is truth, we have peace with God and we are walking in the power of the spirit. In other words, we know that Paul says in verse 19 that the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, sorcery, and enmity, strife, all of that produces the fruit of death. But in verse 22, but the fruit, not the works, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So what are the works of the Spirit then? They are obedience of faith, that obedience of faith, obedience to God's word. I hope this series has been uh, instructional for you. You can get the full teaching series at fordiswritten.com. Again, that's fordiswritten.com. We'll see you next time. Have a blessed day.